This is Gridiron Graduates, a weekly podcast covering all things football. Episode number 34, are you ready for some pink balls? Recorded February 10th, 2016. Hey everybody out there in football land, it's your boy Bill Rossetti hitting you guys back up for the start of the off season. I can't believe that the season is over. The Super Bowl is in the books. Pretty much a fresh start here on Gridiron Graduates. So uh, welcome back. And uh, welcome as always to my buddy Ian Wharton. What's going on, brother? Uh, not much, man. Just uh, knee deep in, in draft and off season NFL work. Um, as we talked about last week, obviously it's time to start looking back at the season and start kind of looking towards the major milestones coming at us this offseason. So uh, things are well, and uh, just looking forward to following up a, a Super Bowl that I enjoyed, at least. I know some people thought it was boring, but I thought it was a fun game. I thought it was interesting. Definitely some major things that happened that we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure, tonight. Absolutely. And, and we'll touch up. What's that? Oh, nice, but I, I am well, though. And we'll touch on that a second, but I really hate when people use the term boring for games like that, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, first, I want to mention, though, some uh, some big news here with Gridiron Graduates. Very excited for this news. Uh, our friends over at Torgo Entertainment has offered to host our podcast and upload our audio recordings to his YouTube channel. So in addition to the blog that these recordings get uploaded to and uploading to iTunes and that. You can also find the recordings now with Torgo Entertains on YouTube. So uh, go ahead and subscribe to him if you want to get the YouTube version now of our show. So a little extra exposure and uh, it's uh, great news. I'm excited. You know, it's, it's almost like a new year, new home, fresh start for us here at Gigi. So Really excited for for that news. Yeah, definitely appreciate that uh, uh, that offer by them and and the work that they put in. So thank you again to them. So uh, let's jump into it. Let's. Uh, it's hard to believe we're now recapping the Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, what an interesting game it was. Uh, again, I hate when people say. You know, the games like that are boring. I think too many people feel like a game needs to be 45-42 or something like that for a game to be exciting. Like, you could you could have good defensive football and still have, a, still have the game be exciting. It's like I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were kind of talking about this. It's like in baseball. You can have an exciting game and the score only be like one to nothing. You know, similar in football, you can get exciting moments in a seven to six game, and certainly in this game you had some exciting moments. Of course, Denver Broncos defeating the Carolina Panthers, 24 to 10, to claim their third Lombardi Trophy, and uh, Peyton Manning wins his second. Von Miller, after an incredible game, just outstanding, uh, was named Super Bowl MVP, and. Uh, for the Panthers, it was a great run, but it ends at 17-2, and and unfortunately, the uh, offensive woes that we were concerned about all throughout the season picked the worst time to rear their ugly head, 
and uh, it seemed from the very beginning, especially problems on the offensive line from the get-go, they just doomed the Panthers, especially guys like Michael Orr and uh, Mike Remmers turned out to be no match for DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller. Yeah, and, you know, we like you mentioned, we talked about that way at the beginning of the season, and they had a lot of success in spite of those issues. Um, they had a very The Panthers had a very successful season, and you really can't take away much. I mean, uh, there's no doubt about it. I'd rather be in the Super Bowl and lose in the Super Bowl than to not make the Super Bowl. Um, that being said, what this team accomplished... Um, Obviously, you look back at it and you say, well, you know, maybe they, maybe the, the lack of competition throughout the season really did kind of cover these issues that we all knew were there. Um, but, but, you know, we started to look at it and, and downplay the, the concerns a little bit. But, I mean, it proved to be a nightmare matchup, really. And they just, they didn't compensate quickly enough for the issues that they have, especially along the offensive line. Um, I thought that they were a little bit slow to give extra help to their tackles, especially against Von Miller. Um, there are things that you can do to significantly slow a pass rush like that. And as, as well as this team has been coached all season, I think that it showed they really went up against a team with an excellent head coaching staff, a head coach and, and his staff, Wade Phillips especially, um, but Gary Kubiak did a nice job as well. Uh, they, they came out, the Broncos came out strong right away, um, attacking in the passing game with Peyton Manning, and that caught the, uh, the Panthers off guard. And then, I mean, it really transferred on the other side of the ball too, when the Panthers were on offense. Too many drop balls, way too many drop balls, especially fairly easy passes that, that really it, no excuse for dropping. And then a couple of tight contested passes as well. But I mean, you know, it's, it's the Super Bowl. You've got to make those plays. And, uh, it, it, the lack of playmaking ability that finally reared its ugly head ended up costing the, the Panthers dearly. And the one, the one thing I took away too from this game was how little it seemed they used Cam Newton, uh, in the run game. Like it, it didn't feel like, they let him loose as much as they had throughout the season. And I think that played, that hurt the Panthers a little bit too in moving the ball. Now, you know, they were able to run the ball a little bit with Stewart, but then he went down with injury and that hurt. Um, and like you mentioned, the drop passes. Uh, but credit the Denver defense. I mean, Cam yeah. was just swamped all night. And yeah. that was because of guys like Miller and where Derek Wolf got into the into the mix. Malik Jackson had the defensive touchdown. Uh, just uh, all, all throughout the defense, corners too, or I, I should say the secondary too, just played outstanding. Well, aside from those couple of idiotic plays by Keep to Lead. But uh, overall, just an outstanding game plan. And I guess looking back, you could, it just makes the case that giving Wade Phillips two weeks to prepare for an offense like this. He obviously had a game plan. He stuck to it, and it worked out beautifully. Um, 
I think that you brought up an interesting point about Cam running. He had some success, and there was almost a turning point in that first half where Denver got the quick score, obviously, and, and Carolina just seemed a little flustered and overwhelmed by the moment. Then Cam started to run, and he broke off a couple big runs on, on route to a scoring drive. Um, really started to kind of pick things up for the Panthers, and it felt like, okay, Panthers have settled in. And we've seen this in Super Bowls and even other big games, college football, NFL. We've seen it where one team just gets a little – they start the game a little too excited or whatever it may be. They settle in. Then they start to really take over like you expected. Um, I thought that they had that moment. I thought the Panthers had found that moment until, you know, the drop Jericho Cotry pass where Von Miller was covering him and then the missed field goal and the, and the mistakes just kept piling on. But there was a moment there where I was like, okay, that's their spark. That's the moment where Carolina found the weakness in the Denver defense, and I'm shocked that they just didn't call more quarterback draws or they just asked him, hey, we're going to run deep passing routes. We want you to just run within the first couple of seconds. Even if it's not a design draw, just tell them, hey, your mindset has to change right here. You have to be willing to run and just get whatever yards you can um, once you feel like, you know, the pocket might be collapsing. So, it, it it's one of those things where it's like yeah it's easy to go back and and say say that but even in the second half I felt that way that like hey move the ball at whatever cost and I, I noticed that too though it's a really good I'm glad that you pointed that out I I was with you in noticing that there was just a severe lack of trying to run with Newton and I think that was a big mistake especially facing that type of secondary and there was definitely you know late in the game when it was sixteen ten. Um, and Carolina's getting the ball back. I'm thinking, well, I th- Carolina might have a shot here. I, I had a deep down, I'm thinking Carolina could drive the field here, maybe get something going on offense and take the lead and feel like maybe they can win this game. But once again, that Denver defense stepped up, and I think that was the drive where Denver caused the turnover and they took over deep in Carolina territory. And, of course, went on to score. Uh, and it, it's just unfortunate how it all played out for Carolina. But, boy, what what a game for Denver. And uh, Peyton, though he, he never officially said it yet, uh, but I think he's going to go out as a champion. I like, though, how he kept saying, you know, I'm going to drink a Budweiser. I'm going to drink a beer tonight. Man, uh, like that, that bothered me so much. To be honest, like that, because he said he he mentioned Budweiser and he mentioned and then he kissed Papa John. Yeah, um, those were two of his first things. And to be honest with you, man, like that, that really like bugged me for whatever reason. Um, like you just won the Super Bowl and you're sitting here thinking about Bud Light and kissing Papa John. Like <laughs> you've made probably like two hundred million dollars in your career, and that's what you're worried about after you just won the Super Bowl. I don't know why, they just, it rubbed me wrong. It rubbed me worse than what Cam said after the game, um, which I think we'll, you know, we need to touch on as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. That's um, good. The whole fumble situation. But, you know, Manning, I, you can't take anything away from the guy. The guy's had an amazing career. But it just, it was a moment where it's like, 
that's that's an all-time moment. And he comes out and, like, just mouth vomits with a mention of Budweiser. It just, I, I don't know, it just, to me, it was like, seriously, dude, like, you're still trying to grab the cash cow at this point in your career? Like, it, it, it just, it felt disingenuous. Um, I would have liked to, I don't know, just have, like, a more endearing moment than hearing, like, coming away with it thinking, did I really just hear him say Budweiser? And he did it twice, too. Yeah. Like, that is the weird part, is that he said it twice, so it is what it is, but you know, I definitely think that we need to, to talk about, on the other side of the thing, on the other side of the coin in the field, Cam Newton. Real quick, I, though, before we get to that, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, definitely, go ahead. Well, uh, I, it's also interesting, too, that the whole talk before the season was how Peyton Manning took a $4 million pay cut, um, I guess, to help with other contracts or whatnot. In the end, he ends up getting that $4 million back. Yeah. He got the $2 million for winning the AFC Championship, and then he gets $2 million for winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, not bad, huh? Go out on top. And yeah, really. A, at least $4 million paycheck behind a, a terrific defense uh, that just played, like you said, lights out. Absolutely, Absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, let's, let's go to Cam Newton, because um, obviously that rubs people the wrong way. With that, uh, with his press conference afterwards, um, I think I, that he he really, honestly, I think he lost the entire week of the Super Bowl, and I don't, I don't, I, I try not, to, I don't put much stock usually into like press conferences and stuff. It's it's not my job. My job is not a journalist. My job is not a reporter. It's not. Those aren't things that I I do. However. I think he handled the press poorly all week. Um, we saw him get frustrated later in the, the Super Bowl two-week process where he, he was like, you know, I, I keep answering these questions and stuff like that. And to me, it showed a guy that, that even though he's been on the big stage before, he wasn't really ready for it, maybe. And you could tell he was just not really focused, I think, where he needed to be focused. And again, part of that comes from being 26 years old. And, and although that's not saying he's a kid, it's saying that this is his first time in the Super Bowl with this much scrutiny. Yes, he's played a national championship, but it's a lot different on that stage. Um, my, my big thing is I think it showed in the game. He didn't seem confident. He didn't seem super focused all game long. And... That's a concern for me. I, I think that he, leading up to especially the fumble, where he hesitated to jump on the ball, I just, I feel like he, he didn't have that normal energy, that normal burst of, of swagger that he plays with. And honestly, I think that played a big part into, and again, part of that's because he kept getting hit over and over, and part of that's because his receivers kept dropping the ball. So not all of it was on him, but overall, I think he lost the week. Obviously, it wasn't so much the... And then for me later, the second press conference is what bothered me more because he doubled down. The, the press conference after the Super Bowl, look, I'm a sore loser. I, I don't like to lose, and I realize that about myself. There are people that are going to be like that. I don't think you need to... Quote-unquote, handling with class is really dumb to me, like... 
type A personalities and type B personalities are going to handle things differently. Um, especially when like the, the news clip came or the sound bite came out about uh, Chris Harris, I think it was talking in the background, like, yeah. you know, that's, that, that's a little ridiculous. That shouldn't have happened. That's why he walked away. It's not because he was sulking or anything like that. He didn't want to hear someone else talking about how they just won. Like, and I, I look, I get that. Um, this is the biggest loss of his career easily. So, you know, I don't expect him to handle it like he's been there before because he literally, he's never been there before. Um, what bothered me is the night, is the day after. He clearly did not jump. He made a business decision on that fumble where he was stripped. They're down six points. There's four minutes left in the game. If Carolina gets that ball back, they punt and they may get the ball back with two minutes left going for a game winning drive. It was a game changing play. He made the remark that, that that play did not lose them the game. Um, I mean, it really did though. It, it, it sealed the game. Mm-hmm. It sealed the game, and although it didn't single-handedly lose it, it was a major factor in losing that game. Um, and and whether he had a realistic chance of getting it or not, it doesn't matter. It's the Super Bowl. It, it, it doesn't matter. And if I was a teammate of his, and I heard what he said after, and I realized that the team didn't react this way, but look, if, if I'm a teammate, and I'm hearing a guy saying, uh, you know, you you can you can't blame that play, or you know, we can second guess it, but you know this 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 like he doubled down on the excuse, and it, it's just a bad look, and it's again it, it's someone that handles winning very well and does not handle losing well, um, and it it creates an interesting discussion of can this guy be the face of the NFL moving forward. To be honest with you, I I don't think he can be. I I think this I think it's and it's amazing to say that 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 changed in one game, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden, it's reminiscent of almost LeBron James, where LeBron James was the heel for years because he made really bad comments after some bad losses, and the way he conducted himself. In those losses, he was pouting, and he still does it. I mean, as a fan of the Cavs, I've seen it plenty throughout his career. He is a powder, um, and he loses confidence, and it's very similar to Newton to me. And it's just like, I, and look, if he comes back and wins, maybe then we can revisit it, but it's, it was a bad look. It was unfortunate. Um, I, I'm still a big fan of Cam Newton. I'm not going to change, what, I'm not going to say what he did this season is, is, you know, needs to be parsed because of the poor Super Bowl performance. But overall, it, it, I think it does bring upon a bigger discussion of saying, you know, we need to, to keep in mind now for Newton's marketability aspect. I mean, if you want to keep it on the field, then that's fine. But I just think his off the field, I don't think he's ever going to be looked at the same um, because of how he reacted. And uh, people making defending him and making excuses. I mean, I'm not going to make it a bigger deal than what it is, but it was a really ugly look for a guy that that had normally been very charismatic and had been normally very positive in the media, and the media had done a you know respectable job of making this guy look as good as he's played, because he has played very well. Um, 
I just think I think I think he brought it upon himself, and it could change the narrative of his career uh, here moving forward because he just he simply doubling down on it. I think was a really bad look, and almost shifting blame to people wanting to see him play differently was actually a really bad look. And I'll say this, with the press conference after the game, on on Cam's side, you know, I understand he's frustrated coming off the, the big loss, uh, but on the media side, I can also understand that they're trying to ask him the questions, and I can understand how they're not in full support of how Cam handled himself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um... With the fumble, yeah, you can look back and say that he, he definitely could have dove for it. Like, I know if there's, like, a fumbled snap, quarterbacks are usually taught not to reach down and go after the ball because that's obviously a dangerous play for the quarterbacks. Your arms are right there in harm's way. Um, but with a, with a loose ball like that, he can make a dive for it. I mean, it's not like this is, you know, a 200-pound quarterback. Cam's a big guy. You know, so if, and he's taken hits how many times throughout his career? So if he makes a dive for the ball and he gets hit, he should still be okay. Right. Um, and what are the chances that he gets hurt? Ex- yeah, exactly. Guy? I yeah. mean, it's it's very slim to none. You have the whole off season to recover if you do get hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's you're gonna be fine. If you get hurt there, you're gonna be fine. It's the it's the Super Bowl for crying out loud. No and one's gonna blame you. He you know, he's probably gonna. They were probably going to try to muster him up and get back out there anyway, because there were only a few minutes left in the game anyway. Right, right. You know, um, it's just it, it just seemed ridiculous to me to use he used injury like a possible injury as an excuse, and it's just like, who cares? There's four minutes left in the Super Bowl. You're down by six points. At least try. And that's what to me seemed like he he was. Not I'm not going to say that he quit. I'm not going to say that he was. He's not tough. I certainly would not say that about him, because he is tough, and he does play hard. Mm-hmm. But it, it almost seemed like he had already accepted that the team was going to lose when he made the decision to not jump on that ball. It was almost as if he was saying, I, I don't think we're going to be able to win this game, so I'm not going to jump on this ball. But, so, uh, yeah, crazy... Just a lot of crazy events, uh, but, you know, congrats to the Broncos, and uh, Adam, Adam Schefter nailed it. He thought a couple minutes before the game that uh, John Elway was going to say this one's for Pat, and sure enough, uh, John Elway gets the trophy, and he said this one's for Pat. Um, I also want to talk a little bit to, I mean, you know, obviously off football topic a little bit, but still, uh, let, let's talk about some of the other stuff that happened with the Super Bowl, like the commercials and the halftime show. First of all, we talked last week about Lady Gaga. Um, I was so happy when the way she performed. Oh my goodness, how good was Lady Gaga singing the national anthem? And I'm thinking, I'm so glad she performed this well because all those haters, they can just sit down and shut up because that was just outstanding if you're Um, ranking the Super Bowl MVPs you're going obviously Von Miller 1 
you're going Coney Ely 2, and then Lady Gaga 3. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she was awesome. She was awesome. Yeah. Um, like, like I mentioned last week, whether you're a fan of her, her radio music or not, or, or whatever it may be, that's one thing, but, you know, to, just to appreciate the talent. Uh, she was extremely impressive. I thought that she stole the show, really, um, especially when you compare it to halftime. Um, which I didn't think was bad necessarily, but um, Lady Gaga. I mean, there's just there's no way that you could have done better than that. that she did she did a fantastic job. Absolutely. And, and real quick, I'll, I'll go back to it. Like how you brought up Ely, you know, in a, in a losing effort. How how good was it to see Coney Ely step up? I'm talking to a couple friends, and we were, I was mentioning, you know, this isn't Jared Allen making plays or Luke Keekley. This is Coney Ely. You know, and I was a bit of a fan of Ely coming out of Missouri. You know, I was a bit surprised he fell to the second round, but what a performance he put on. And uh, I, I think it bodes well for the Panthers going forward for the future of their pass rush. Because you're probably not going to have Jared Allen there anymore. Right. Um, I'm not sure what the future is for Charles Johnson. I mean, I'm guessing he might still be there. I, I don't know his contract status off the top of my head, but Ely really instilled some promise uh, for the Panthers' pass rush. So it was r- real nice to see the kind of game that he had on Sunday. Yeah, and, and you mentioned contract status. So Charles Johnson's a guy, he's going to need a contract extension to stick around. Um, he's worth way too much money because he's entering the last year's deal. Um, so he's going to have to be either extended or restructured um, for the Panthers to open up some cap space. And then Jared Allen is either going to be cut or restructured as well. He's got $8.5 million uh, cap space that they can create by just cutting him. And I think that makes sense just to cut him. Yeah. Um, get that cap space. And then Ely's performance really is, is why. Uh, he's flashed throughout 2015. I noted in their game against Miami in the preseason, like, oh, wow, like this is, he looked really good. Um, had clearly made strides since being a rookie when he struggled to get on the field. So I was like you. I, I was a fan of him coming out of college. He's a really good player. Um, now, obviously, he was playing a backup tackle. Uh, both the Broncos tackles are backups. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nevertheless, he would have been the Panthers' MVP, I think, had they won. So a uh, very encouraging performance from him as well. And, uh, really gave Peyton all he could handle. Absolutely. Uh, so, so back to the entertainment. Yeah, let, let's touch on the halftime show. Um, I think for me, my takeaway after watching the show was that the Coldplay performance was best when Coldplay wasn't performing. <laughs> uh, like I, I, I didn't mind Coldplay. Like I, rec- I recognized some of the songs. Like. Um, Vida La Vida, I think it's called. Yeah, like that. yeah, Vida, Vida, Vida La Vida. Something and, like that. and then, um, and then Paradise. I was like, oh yeah, I know these songs. Yeah. But then Bruno Mars came came on, and I, I, that's when I really got into it because Uptown Funk is a great song. Um, and then of course Beyonce doing her thing. Now I'll I'll admit I didn't recognize the song that she sang. I know it's. I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for that. <laughs> no, no, no. So it's a new song. It's a, it's a brand new song. Okay. Uh, so that's why it just, just came on radio stations here recently. Ah, okay. 
and I, I don't, I'm usually listening to CDs, I don't catch, like, you know, today's hits much, so I'm not, like, too in tune, so maybe that's why I didn't recognize it either, uh, but without a doubt, Bruno and Beyonce stole the show during halftime. I did like, though, too, how they had kind of a montage of past Super Bowl perform, uh, past halftime performances, while Coldplay uh, did that one song. You know, they showed Michael Jackson, they showed Bruce Springsteen, um, Paul McCartney, among others. Uh, it was funny, I'm watching on Twitter and I see Mike Freeman tweeting something like, show the Janet clip, or something like that. I just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like, show the Janet clip, you cowards, or something like that. Yeah, I, I was with you. I, I really am I'm not a fan of Coldplay. Um, I respect what they do, but it's just not my type of music. I'm not uh, I'm not really into that. Um, I, I just thought it was a weird choice to begin with. I, I don't really understand why you pick. Yeah, I mean, like, I understand, like, they're a huge band, and, and if listeners like them, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about them. It just, it didn't make sense to pick a kind of a boring performer um, they're like pop rock they're not really like catchy in terms of like in the terms of like Bruno Mars is yeah. or even Beyonce where like you know it has some rhythm to it and it's it's really catchy um, they don't give off that scene they're, they're not that style of music so it was a strange decision to start and they weren't bad because you know at least the singer he was running around and trying to be active and you know I, I give them credit yeah for doing their best it's just they're just not that style of music so overall I mean I it was okay I, I think they just should have brought a new act I don't think the Bruno Mars Beyonce thing quite frankly made much sense um, in my eyes because I mean Reality is, is they just had those two a couple of years ago, in the last couple of years. So it's, I don't know why you bring them back, but I agree with you. Though, the montage was really cool. Um, they just kind of go through cycles. As I was watching that, that part, like they go through cycles of like you know the, the older rockers, and they went with like the more current music and, and hip hop, and then now they kind of went with like a mix. Um, I they can never get it right. <laughs> I mean, people will, will dislike it no matter what. Yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty weak this year overall. Um, just because Bruno and, and Beyonce, we, we've literally just seen them mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. So for me, personally, I thought it was just a little... It, it just it just felt a little repetitive. And, and the Coldplay aspect was just so strange. Right. It was so strange to me. I, 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 it, never once will that make sense to me. And their whole tagline, too, was that this is honoring the past, present, and future. Well, we saw the past with the montage, and I guess these guys represent the present. Yeah, I don't Where's the future coming? Future, right. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Um, and, and I think I, did I see somewhere that, like, there are some fans that are paid to, like, go on the field? During a halftime show was kind of like villains or something. Um, it would make sense. It would make sense. Um, 
Especially because you don't want just like random drunk people going on. Because <laughs> like when when the lead singer of Coldplay was kneeling, kneeling down to start the segment, yeah. and like the fans were running by, I looked at my fiance and said, "How hilarious would it be if one of those people just like trucked him <laughs> while he was singing?" And again, it's nothing against him, but it's like putting him in that situation was really strange to me, uh, where he could get hurt. So maybe, I, so that would make sense that you're gonna say. So, yeah, so maybe like that part was set up, maybe rehearsed yeah. or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's like you're kneeling in the middle of a football field, and you have hundreds of fans just running out. Live TV, totally vulnerable stuff. Yeah, if this was college basketball, and you're doing something like that, you're getting right. trampled over. Right. I'm almost no surprised someone didn't take the free shot. I mean, it's not like they <laughs> yeah, were really. he, would, he wouldn't have been hurt. Like, that's the thing. Is like, you know, it, it just would have been really funny it's to just see make that. Or something. Yeah, it would have been really funny to see that on live TV. <laughs> um, and then the commercials. As usual, you have some real funny ones, and you had a bunch of done ones. Uh, for me... I really liked the Kevin Hart one at the beginning. I thought that was funny, especially at the end where he, where he asked his daughter, like, what would you do tonight? And he looks at the camera, like, all smirkish. Um, I like that one. I like the Doritos with the pregnant woman. Um, and I, I love the Steve Harvey one, too. When Steve Harvey came out, it was just so funny. And I was just like, I love how he can laugh at himself for that. Um, and he's like, I have to apologize again. I didn't get it wrong this time. Verizon messed up. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, you had Puppy Monkey Baby. Uh, and all I could think when I watched that was, what the hell did I just watch? I, like, I have no words for that commercial. None. Just I, how stupid. The yeah, was. yeah, I'm with you. I, I, what I thought is, when I saw it, this is like the first time we're seeing a commercial specifically made for people on drugs. <laughs> That's it was, I like that. It was so bad. It was legitimately awful. Um, I usually like the Doritos and Mountain Dew commercials. Um, I, I like that you know, they, they kind of push the envelopes. I think Doritos does another good job this year. They always seem to be a winner. Doritos never fails in the Super Bowl. Yeah, they just they they know they they get it. They get their brand. They they know how to be silly. Um, but yeah, man, the puppy puppy, puppy monkey baby was just that's the thing too. Like, disaster. We don't, don't even know. Like you you have to think for a second. Is that the exact name? That's how stupid. It is. Yeah, I mean it was it was just it was awful. And I'm the type of person like I won't I won't get a product because it was well marketed. Per, per se, like, that doesn't really matter to me. But when something's really poorly marketed, I will literally do everything it takes to avoid that product. Um, I don't know why. Like, it's, I mean, I've worked in marketing, and it just, for me, like, it's just a total turnoff when, like, you kind of insult, like, the people that you're trying to market to. And, like, that's the way I took that. I just, it was, like, it was so bad, it was, like, offensive to me. Like, I think this is terrible... Don't put oh, that. Yes. I can't remember the product. It was Kickstarter. It was like a Mountain Dew Kickstarter. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was like the purple, the purple one. So yeah. It's just a really bad job on their part. I mean, yeah, they got people talking about it, but I don't for know. the wrong reasons. Yeah, for the wrong reasons. 
um, I'm with you, the Steve Harvey one, was hilarious. Not only does he laugh at himself about it, but he profits off of it. The man gets another check yeah. because of it. I love it. Um, I think there was like a T-Mobile commercial later in the show, too, or later in the, in the evening. I can't exactly remember. For some reason, T-Mobile was sticking out to me um, as a winner. But I'm with you, though. I did enjoy some of the commercials. I like the Kevin Hart one as well. I really like the Audi commercial, and I really like the um, Acura commercials for their high-end cars, Audi R8 and the, uh, I think it's the Acura NSX, if I remember correctly. Uh, might have been the RSX. I can't, can't quite remember. Um, two mid-six-figure, $150,000, $175,000 cars, which I have no chance at getting ever. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's not the point. I like looking at them. And actually someone at my day job has an R8, and it's beautiful, and I park, like, two spots down from it every day, and it's really great. Um, but, yeah, so I, I'm with you, though. I, I don't think the commercials were terrible. I know a lot of people like, said that they were just, just really bad, really boring, but I, I thought there were definitely some winners, especially the Steve Harvey one. That one really stuck out to me as a good one. Yeah. And, and the best, I think the best part, too, for Steve is not only can he laugh at himself, but he's also laughing all the way to the bank. Yep. Not just for that commercial, which obviously I'm sure he made millions of dollars. And, and I think we brought this up before, but he also got a multi-year contract to return as host of the Miss Universe pageant. Plus the money he makes for hosting his talk show. Plus the money he makes for hosting Family Feud. So, he, he can afford to laugh at himself because he's just going to rake in the millions and we'll just laugh along right with him. So, but again, good on Steve Hartman. I, I mentioned this before, you know, I, I respected him and he gave him a lot more of my respect when he owned up to the fact that he made the mistake in the pageant. Yeah. And now he's, you know, able to laugh at himself. I remember on Christmas, he posted, he sent out a tweet saying, like, Happy Easter. Um, and then now you have the, <laughs> yeah. the T-Mobile thing, so that, that was pretty funny. I'm, I'm really a big Steve Harvey fan in general. I, we, my fiance and I, we watch Family Feud yeah. uh, before we go to bed every night. And it's, it's hilarious. He's hilarious. Um, he has a lot of really good life advice, too. Um, so I've, I've actually grown to be quite a fan of his. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all for him. Go get your money. Absolutely. Go, 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 go be a cool guy. Don't, don't take it too serious. Don't take life too serious. We all mess up. Um, it was, it was just kind of refreshing to see that, especially when everyone, especially Super Bowl week and, and all these, um, interviews and, and old white reporters getting butt hurt about Cam Newton. Um, <laughs> Even though I said what I said, I, again, it doesn't really affect my view on him. Yeah. Especially as a player, I think he's a good player. I think he's a good guy, too. Um, he just might be different than who we thought he was. But that's okay. It doesn't mean he's a criminal or anything like that or a thug. That don't, that's such ridiculous in my eyes. Um, but old white, old white reporter Twitter, the dog Abby Twitter, um, does not like Cam Newton. But, but yeah, no, overall, it was very interesting to see the responses to both the game and uh, everything surrounding the game, which we've talked about through the half-game show, um, halftime show, and the uh, 
commercials as well. Definitely some strong opinions on both. Absolutely. Um, and then on Steve Harvey, you know, that's one of the reasons why he's been host now for six years. Uh, and he has a new contract that's going to lock him up through, I think, the year 2020 or 2021. Which, and I, I might have said this on this show before, um, but if he lasts till the end of that contract, this will actually make him the longest tenured Family Feud host in history. Longer than Richard Dawson. Wow. Right now, he's... He's just about tied, I think. He's either... I don't know if he's, like, just passed. Or he's pretty much around the same time length as Ray Combs. About six years. Which ties him for the second longest tenured feud host. Um, I think about three more years would tie him with Richard Dawson. And then one more would make him the longest consecutive tenure. Because Dawson had the nine years originally, and then he came back for one season uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, but yeah, so good for Steve Harvey. And also on the topic of game shows, um, The Price is Right did a Super Bowl 50-themed episode on Friday. And I was actually home on Friday, so I was able to watch it. And the first thing you notice is... You do not hear the Price is Right theme. Like, usually you'll hear, like, the Come On Down theme as they bring down the first four contestants. Their theme the whole time was actually the NFL on CBS theme. Which, at the beginning, it's like, oh, cool, you know, you're using the NFL, you're using CBS's NFL theme, which is really nice. But as the show wore on and they constantly play the theme, I'm thinking, okay, some of this music just feels forced. You know, it feels like they're just throwing the music in there. You know, kind of unnes- feels kind of unnecessary at times. But overall, it was fun. And then obviously, one of the prizes was a trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, spoiler alert: If you plan on watching the show, which at this point I don't know, I don't know if you're gonna go back and watch it, but uh, unfortunately, that prize was not won. Uh, the girl went over on the showcase, so she did not win the to the Super Bowl. Um, but it, it was fun, though, to see that, because uh, obviously, you know, CBS having Super Bowl 50, um, and usually Price is Right will have uh, either shows or showcases kind of tie into something that's coming up on CBS. They've done it with the Grammys, they've done it with the NCAA tournament, and now they've had it with the Super Bowl. So I thought that was really neat to, and the models were wearing. The jerseys, you know, Panthers and Broncos. So it, it was a, it was a fun show. I, I don't know if you got to see it or if you or how much you even get to see Prices Right in general. Because I know you're busy uh, with other stuff during that time, probably. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't get a chance to to watch it, unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I thought that was fun. Uh I think we should touch on the Hall of Fame, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's another huge, uh, huge event in the NFL that, that happens around the Super Bowl. Yeah. Saturday, the class was announced, and quite the class this year. Um, 
Brett Favre was the lock of the century. Um, and I think they said that lasted all of about 10 seconds. Yeah, an argument for him went for six seconds, which I don't even understand. It literally it took, took like six seconds since the time I just said Brett Favre got in. Yeah, like, I don't know, the guy probably went out there and just said it's Brett Bleef and Favre. Probably. And that's it. It's like, that's really all you have time to say. Like, okay, our first nominee is Brett Favre. All in favor? Aye. Okay, he's in. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's crazy. Like, six seconds. Like, But, again, he, he was the lock of the century, so we knew he was going to get in. Kevin Green's in. Tommy Dungy gets in, the former coach. In fact, it's going to be a good night for Colts fans. Tony Dungy, the coach. And a Stavon Marvin Harrison, as Chris Berman likes to call him, also getting inducted. So I guess it was like Marvin's turn, per se, at wide receiver. And Orlando Pace, one of the top tackles in the NFL, uh, of course, a member of that greatest show on turf. They were the modern-day uh, modern inductees. Then you had... You had uh, Kenny Stabler and Dick Stanfell as the senior inductees, and Eddie DeMartolo Jr., the former owner of the 49ers, also getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, quite the class going in in August. Uh, you know, Favre becomes the first quarterback in 10 years. To, uh, to be enshrined. Um, overall, though, this is a really strong class, and it's starting to make us feel kind of old, because, you know, these are guys that, uh, you know, not too long ago, we were watching play as we were growing up, guys like Favre and Marvin Harrison. Uh, you know, we watch Tony Dungeon every week now on NBC, so... Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend, I think, in August. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty good group. Um, obviously, Harrison, I'm glad he got in. Um, I was a little skeptical on Tony Dungy. To be honest, I, I, I know he's accomplished a lot. Um, Hall of Famer, though? I don't know. I feel like that his relationship with the media may have benefited in there, and maybe that's just me underrating what he's accomplished, I don't know. Um, Marvin Harrison, to me, is a clear guy, Orlando Pace, obviously a clear guy, but Brett Barr, no doubt. Um, most of these guys were, were no doubt about Hall of Famers. Kevin Green, I know he's been up for, for years um, for the Hall of Fame, and, and obviously, I mean, didn't get a chance to watch him, but um, a lot of people vouch for him as being an excellent Candidate for the Hall of Fame, so I'm happy for him, of course. Um, he's been a guy that's been, I can at least remember, constantly being mentioned as a should-be Hall of Famer. So with that in mind, I'm glad that he finally made it. Um, only one that, that really stuck out to me, though, a little bit, was just uh, Tony Dungy. I was just like, man, really? Hall of Famer? I, I don't know. I don't know, maybe it's just kind of weird for me with coaches too, especially coaches that get elite quarterbacks for most of their careers. Um, I know what he did in Tampa Bay was very impressive, but 
also the year after he left, the team won the Super Bowl. And he never stayed to finish the deal. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that bottles, bothers me a little bit. Um, I don't know. And, again, maybe I'm just being a little picky. And, and such, but, I mean, if he, if he didn't get Peyton Manning, is he any different than Lovey Smith as far as, like, how his career turns out? I, I don't think he is. I mean, I don't think he's anything special as a coach. I think he's special as a person. And I think that his relationship with people is phenomenal. Uh, he's more of the Tom Coughlin type coach, which I think has a, definitely has a place in the NFL. We know that that style works, uh, where you have excellent assistants and you're more of like the relationship manager. I think that that style, there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, I'd, I may argue that that might be the best style of a head coach if, if done properly. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just it's an interesting discussion. I think that would have been a fun discussion to be a part of or at least to listen to, to, to hear the pros and cons from people that maybe are more um, aware of what he's accomplished and maybe what I'm thinking off the top of my head. I just know it's always stuck out to me that Tampa Bay won a Super Bowl the year after he left. And uh, certainly one of the notable non-inclusions in this year's class is certainly Terrell Owens. And there's a lot of people that think he should have been the first ballot Hall of Famer, but uh, I guess, you know, here we go with this wide receiver logjam again. It's almost like, you know, whose turn is it to get inducted? So maybe next year is the year for T.O. Um, I know there's certainly some some good names coming up that are going to be eligible. Uh, Brian Dawkins is eligible. LaDainian Tomlinson. Um, those, those are just a couple, couple names offhand that I've never seen. Donovan McNabb's eligible, but we know he's not getting in. <laughs> At least not the first ballot. But uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if next year's the year uh, for T.O. But I think he should get in. You know, the numbers, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, I understand people are, people may look at you know how many teams he played for in his career and how some of his tenures ended, you know, certainly things didn't end well in San Francisco, things didn't end well in Philadelphia, but overall, the numbers are what they are, and they should be enough to, to get T.O. in. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that's amazing to me that if that's even a discussion. <laughs> like, the top five receiver of all time, if you look at the numbers, I mean, I don't it's crazy to me that, that Lynn Swan's out here saying that, of all people, T.O. shouldn't get in. I mean, you, you compare their resumes, and it's not even a discussion. Like, by far, T.O. has a stronger resume than really anyone that you'll see besides Randy Moss. Um, and, of course, the great Jerry Rice. So it was really interesting, you know, and I think that it'll be interesting to see where, where T.O.'s Candidacy goes, I think he should be our first ballot, personally. And I think that eventually when he gets there, I think uh, uh, Calvin Johnson, eventually in five years, I think he's a first ballot guy, too. Um, we're a ways away from that. We're five years away from that. If he ends up retiring, which is, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a guarantee to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I respect him if that is the decision that he makes. I hope 
I, I hope that whatever decision he makes is, is the one that he is most happy with. Yeah. I'm sure it will be. Um, selfishly, I'd love to see him continue playing well, football. But say that, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, what he should or shouldn't do. What he should do is take care of himself and his family, and he certainly has done that to this point in his career. Um, I, I, I love him. It's, it's just crazy because we're losing uh, Kelvin Johnson. We're losing... Uh, Charles Woodson, losing possibly Peyton Manning, and possibly and Marshawn Lynch, all in one offseason. Um, the, those are three bona fide Hall of Famers, and maybe and maybe three of the top five players ever at their respective positions. Um, Calvin Johnson, I think, is a top five receiver of all time. Uh, Charles Woodson, I think, is a top five safety of all time. And I think Peyton Manning's a top five quarterback, maybe of all time. And he may be, if he's not top five, if those guys aren't top five, they're right in that discussion. Um, and that says, that says a lot about now. I, I think that the, it's an interesting discussion about Marshawn Lynch. But maybe, maybe we'll have that, I don't know if you want that discussion another day. Um, just because I, mean, I don't have any of the data here in front of me, but um, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of running backs in that category where he is. I think Lynch had a higher impact and a higher ceiling when he was playing his best um, compared to. There are some guys numbers wise, like Corey Dillon, uh, Chris Johnson had similar career numbers, but I don't think had the same impact. Um, but that's such such a subjective thing that. You know, it's very difficult to gauge. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least for, for Woodson, Johnson, and Manning, I think all those three guys are first ballot shoe-ins for Hall of Fame, at least in, at least in what I, I, I've seen in my lifetime. Absolutely. So, uh, like, we all want to see Calvin play at least one more year, I'm sure. But if he does hang it up this year, we're looking at a stacked class of... 2021 for the Hall of Fame because they I would I would say there was a very good chance that those three guys are going to go in together Peyton Manning Charles Woodson and uh, Calvin Johnson uh, that would be just one hell of a lineup uh, I would certainly pay to see them and, and I'm certainly looking forward to Terry Lowen's uh, speech <laughs> when he gets in. Maybe at that time we'll finally be able to retire the Jordan meme, the crying Jordan. Yeah. And maybe it'll be crying T.O. <laughs> For the love of God, though, I really hope we do retire the crying Jordan. How is that not stopped by now? I don't know, but it's terrible. It really is terrible, folks. Stop. That's the downside about Twitter, I think, too, is they love to... Like, push things way past their expiration. Yeah, everyone's beating that horse. Yeah. Constantly with that, that stupid meme. Like, it's, honestly, I don't even think it's that funny. Like, I never really found it that funny. It's, it's just I'll dumb. I'll be honest, I've kind of forgotten where that even got started, too. Yeah, I don't even know when it really got first, first got started, but... At this point, I don't really care. Yeah, it's been around for like, it's been around for like three or four years now. It's time to find something else. Maybe use like, uh, that Eli face. The, yeah. 
That's the first thing I thought too when I saw that picture. I'm like, Eli faces he's not even playing. Yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Or just show a picture of anyone dabbing. Oh yeah. Oh man, the dabbing needs to die too. Uh, maybe that's like the one positive from the from Cam and the uh, Panthers losing. Maybe that dab will finally die. <laughs> Betty White will be the last one to ever do it, maybe. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, we end the dab, and we'll, we'll end the show with a good old-fashioned dab. You <laughs> can't see us doing it, but there it is. Um, boy, time flies, and you're having fun. That was a good hour of talk. But, uh, boy, that's it. Season's over. It's full speed ahead now to the off-season. Scouting combine in about uh, two and a half weeks. And we've got a free agency coming up in the draft. So uh, a lot of good stuff coming up here. So looking forward to breaking everything down for you guys. So uh, what do you think, Ian? Good stuff coming up. Yeah, definitely. Combine's always a fun time. Uh, definitely will change the way you think of not only analysts, but also uh, prospects. I personally don't put a ton into the combine. I think that it is important to note things. Um, people that you're maybe split on as far as the film, I think it's a useful tool to kind of sway you one way or the other if you're on the fence. Yeah. Um, it may force you to go back and watch things and, and see what you missed. Um, and I do believe in playing the percentages in the draft. If there is a data set that says, you know, 70, 80% of these players that don't meet this criteria are not blank, and you feel very strongly the other way, I wouldn't say change your opinion necessarily, but at least be open to the argument, um, because... The reason why that data is there, or why we know that these trends go this way, is because the data tells us uh, there's strong correlations. Um, Jim Coburn, at Jim Coburn1 on Twitter, is a really good follow for some of this information, um, among other people, but I definitely recommend him. Uh, he's got great uh, data mining and, and charts to kind of to show where all pros come from, what measurements they have, uh, the correlations between some of these things. It all matters. It, make no mistake about it, it matters. And that that would be my only advice as, as someone who's covered this stuff. Don't put too much stock into it, especially stuff like Spark and stuff like that because those formulas are flawed. Don't change your entire process just over athleticism. Um, as, as good as athleticism can be, it's not everything. Um, but I would also say don't cape for guys too often that are, quote-unquote, they're just good football players because people that are just football players will become just football players. Like, they'll become really, you know, just a guy. So stick to your process. Um, always try to learn, especially from the combine. There's lots to learn from it. And... Uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy this major event because the, the combine is a big deal because I will say if, if you're looking specifically at one team, it is extremely important. Uh, if you've had continuity in your front office for a few years, 
you can use the combine as a great predictor for who the guys are that your team will be interested in and the guys that you won't be interested in. Um, every team has certain skill sets or size criteria that they look for or uh, measurement criteria that they're basing their picks off of. So um, teams that have been very consistent with their management especially really stand out in that regard. And you can really predict it. Um, a good example would be Green Bay and cornerbacks. They never have cornerbacks that are less than 5'11". So if a cornerback measures less than 5'11", you can guarantee that they're off the board. So it's stuff like that that's very interesting as the combine comes near. Absolutely. We'll definitely dig deeper into that in the coming weeks. So that'll wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening. And again, thanks to Torgo Entertainment for being the new home of Gridiron Graduates. You can check us out there. You can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, TuneIn Radio. Uh, comment, subscribe, let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at NFL Film Study, at Bill Morissetti. For Ian Wharton, Iron Bill Morissetti, thanks so much for listening and uh, enjoying the ride for us. We'll see you next week right here on GG. Until then, take care, my friends.